It's good to be with you tonight. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll be studying from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 this evening. I'd like to make a quick announcement before we begin with our lesson. Um, my uh, parents are here with us this weekend, and uh, my, my dad, David, has just uh, began working with a, a new work that um, is quite interesting and I think quite needed. It's called the Home of Recovery and Restoration. And basically, it is a uh, place for those who have struggled with various types of addiction to go and to uh, learn to deal with that, but it's biblically based. And he's here tonight, and what we'd like to do, if you're interested, after we conclude our services, come on down here to the front pew section, and um, he'd like to take about 10 minutes or so and tell you a little bit about what that place is all about and maybe answer some questions that you might have. And so if you have a few minutes, won't you come and um, uh, let him tell you a little bit more about the work that they're doing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we meet the end of the chapter, beginning in verse number 12. And from 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12 through verse 22, we have this number of short verses that almost seem like they're unrelated or that they're just sort of some random compilation of thoughts at the end of a letter, but that's not the case at all. The Bible has a lot to say about our attitude as Christians, and we're going to approach these 10 verses in 1 Thessalonians 5 from the standpoint of attitude. We'll call it four important attitudes, and here they are before we get going. First, there's our attitude toward our leaders. That's in verse 12 and 13. Second, there's our attitude toward one another. That's in verse 14 and 15. Third, there's our attitude, we'll just call it in general, verse 16 through 18. And fourth, there's our attitude toward teaching. That's verse 19 to 22. Let's work our way through this section tonight and uh, make a few comments as we go along and see how we can apply what's said in these last, uh, or this section of 10 verses in 1 Thessalonians to our lives today. 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning in verse number 12, as we consider our attitude toward our leaders, the Bible says this, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them highly, uh, very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace amongst yourselves. Three things that we need to notice in these two verses. First of all, the Bible tells us that we are to recognize those who labor among us as leaders. The word recognize is important. The idea of it is to know them or to honor them. To know them or to honor them. And he says in this passage, verse number 12, that we are to know or to honor those who labor. And the word labor literally is toilsome service. It is, if you're taking notes or making cross-references, the same word that Paul used at the beginning of this book. In chapter 1, verse number 3, when he described your labor of love, we remember without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love, he says. It's the same idea. Now, what do we learn right off the bat from this first part of this verse? 
we learn number one that being a leader in the church of God is not an easy task, that it is not just a sort of badge that is worn, but that it is a role that does indeed require a great deal of labor, a great deal of exertion, and a great deal of work. We might say it this way, it is a role in which a man is to literally pour himself into it. But I also learned that I have a responsibility to take note of those who occupy that position as leaders and those who labor and toil in that way. Now look closer at the verse. In my Bible, by the word labor, I have the word general written. And the reason is because I would suggest to you that he is generally saying they labor or they toil. And now in the last part of this verse, he's going to be more specific and define for us how it is that they do this labor or this toil. First of all, he says they are over you in the Lord. Look at the word over. It's literally authority. It's a word that means to govern or to superintend or to preside over. So we're talking about those who toil in a way uh, who toil or labor among us as those who are put in positions of authority, those who govern, who superintend, and notice this little phrase in the Lord. It's important because it tells us that is the it is the Lord that gives them this authority. That's the first thing. They labor and their labor is they govern. Number 2, You'll notice he says they admonish you. They, they govern and they admonish. And the word admonish, also important, it means literally to provide instruction. And this is, this is an important distinction. They provide instruction for the purpose of correcting behavior and belief. This word admonish has to do with providing instruction for the purpose of correcting behavior and belief. So put it all together. We are to honor and know and recognize those who labor among us by way of presiding over or superintending and providing instruction that is necessary to correct behavior and to correct belief. In other words, they help us stay on the right path. And then he says our responsibility to them in verse 13 is what? To esteem them. The word esteem means literally to have a high view and to hold in high regard. We are to have a high view or hold in high regard those who labor and who lead among us. And then he says, you're to do it in love. In other words, it's not just a mere submission, but it is submission which is part of a relationship that is characterized by love. Leaders who occupy the position that's being described in these two verses They don't lead separated from the flock or separated from the people. They lead among the people and as part of the people. And so we love and we have a high regard for one another and for our leaders in love. Notice, for their work's sake. It's not a thing about social status or a clergy type of situation. It's because we recognize the hard work that they do. And the Bible says when we recognize that hard work, we esteem them or we hold them in high regard. We have a high view of them because we recognize the value and the difficulty of the task. 
I would point you to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 and 17, in conjunction with these two verses, where the Hebrews writer talks about submitting ourselves to those who rule over us and also uh, to do it willingly because, um, because they watch for our soul and because they'll have to answer to the Lord for how they carry out that role. And my own commentary on it would be their job is difficult enough. There's no sense in making it any more difficult than what it has to be. What's our attitude toward our leaders supposed to be? It's supposed to be recognizing, honoring, knowing them, and esteeming them highly, giving them encouragement and lifting, lifting them up. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12 and 13. What about our attitude toward one another? 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14 and 15. We're actually going to begin with this last part of verse 13. I left it out on purpose. Be at peace among yourselves. Now, it's interesting, be at peace among yourselves, it either goes back to our relationship to our leaders in verse 12 and 13, and it emphasizes the fact that when we hold them in high regard and respect them as we should, that peace is the result of that. Or it could be pointing to the verses that follow in our relationship toward one another, and it simply tells us that our, uh, the, the general idea is that we're to be promoting peace not just with how we view our leaders, but in general, within the entirety of the body of Jesus Christ. So it's either the summary of our relationship to our leaders or it's the beginning of our relationship to ourselves, but the principle applies both ways. Respect leaders as we should, and peace is the result. Have a proper view toward one another as we should, and peace is the result. James 4, verses 1 to 3 comes to mind where James asked the questions about war and fighting and he said where do these things come and he says they come from within they come from your lusts he says you lust and you desire to have but you cannot obtain and he goes on to talk about selfishness and how there is this conflict that results of those who do not have an appropriate view of themselves and of the Lord and of one another so be at peace among yourselves Now, in verse number 14, he says this, We exhort you to warn the unruly. The word warn, it's the same word in the Greek New Testament that is used in verse number 12 that is translated admonish. And remember that it has to do with providing instruction for the purpose of of correcting behavior and correcting belief. But here, it has a slightly different nuance. Because in this passage, in verse number 14, when he talks about warning the unruly, here's what he's saying. When you have an unruly person, you bring to their mind or to their attention the consequences of their action. Warn the unruly means let them know if you continue in this course of action, this is the consequence that's going to follow. So what are the unruly? Well, the unruly are literally the disorderly. And also interesting in this passage, the word that's used again in the Greek New Testament, it actually sometimes refers to a soldier who is out of step. It sometimes refers to a person who is lazy. And even in some cases in the New Testament world or the ancient world, it would be used to refer to those who went into a public place like the gymnasium and refused to obey the rules of the gymnasium. 
So put all of that together, and what is it that the Bible's telling us we ought to do as far as our responsibility toward one another? It means that whenever there's someone within the body of Christ who's not following the rules, who's not living the way that the New Testament says that they should, that lovingly their brethren ought to bring before their attention, if you continue down this course, here are the consequences of that decision. Here's what it looks like if we're not going to live the way that the Bible tells us to live. But he also tells us to comfort the faint-hearted. And the word comfort means to console or to persuade, not to give up. And the faint-hearted, of of course, are those who are discouraged and are contemplating giving up. My mind goes to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul described God as the God of all comfort. And he talks about the fact that because God comforts us, so we ought to comfort one another. And that comfort is much more than just uh, putting our arm around the person and speaking kindly to them and giving them words of encouragement. But it is the idea of going out of our way and doing whatever is necessary in order to help a person to not give up. I know that's grammatically uh, probably not the best way of saying it, but that's the idea. You see a person who is on the brink of turning away from the Lord, do whatever it takes to encourage them not to do it. That's the idea of comforting the faint-hearted. What about upholding the weak? The word uphold means to assist or to help, and the weak are literally those who are spiritually weak. He says be patient with all, and patience has to do, of course, with long-suffering. And he says you're to be long-suffering with everybody, regardless of who they are. Don't render evil for evil, he says. That's the idea of not retaliating. And he says always pursue what is good, meaning always seek what is good or in the best interest for yourself and for everyone else. Isn't that how the Bible defines love, by the way, as um, putting the best interest in the needs of another person at the forefront uh, ahead of ourselves? So summarize it, what is our attitude toward one another? Our our attitude toward one another should be this. If I see you uh, walking out of step, if I see you turning away from what the Bible says, then I should do whatever is necessary to bring to your attention the consequences of of that course of action. If I see you discouraged and thinking about giving up and leaving the Lord, I need to comfort and console you and do what is necessary in order to help you to see that it is important not to give up. If you're spiritually weak, then I should help you. I should be patient and I should never seek to retaliate if there's some wrong done against me. And above all, I should always seek the good. That's our attitude toward one another. Number three, look at verse 16, 17, and 18. Here is our attitude. We'll just call it in general. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The Bible tells us about joy, and the Bible tells us that joy, of course, is not necessarily dependent upon circumstances. Joy is found in every circumstance of life. The Bible describes it in 1 Peter chapter 1 as joy unspeakable and full of glory. And it is that that component that is steady and steadfast and remains a constant through every circumstance and every difficulty that life has to offer. Paul said in Philippians 4 and verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And that's exactly the idea of 1 Thessalonians 5.16. In everything, rejoice. But then there's pray without ceasing. 
And naturally, Paul isn't saying that we're to always go about muttering a prayer to ourselves, but he's saying that we always ought to have a disposition for prayer, that it ought to be a habit and it ought to be something that we're doing on a regular basis. Luke 18, verse 1 to 8 comes to mind. Jesus told a parable, Luke 18, 1 says, that men ought always to pray and never to faint or never to give up. And then he begins to let us know what the parable is. And it's all about being persistent and understanding that we have a God who has the ability and the desire to give his people what they need. Pray without ceasing. And then in everything, give thanks. The psalmist would say in Psalm 103, verse 1 and 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, with all that is within you, bless his name, and do not forget all of his benefits toward you. Our attitude in general Always rejoice, no matter what. Always be about the business of praying. Whatever it is, whether it's in good or bad, pray and always give thanks. Always be thankful. Now, this last section is interesting. We'll call it our attitude toward teaching. Notice these last verses. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test, old, test all things, hold fast that which is good, and abstain from every appearance of evil. When he says, do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophecies, the word quench is the same word that would be used to describe putting out a fire. Don't put out the fire, he says. Despise is the idea of looking with contempt or seeing something as being invaluable. And in the context of this book and of the first century church, what Paul is talking about are the miraculous spiritual gifts that existed within the time period of our brethren in the first century. But let me add more to it. Notice that he uses the word prophecies. When he's talking about quenching the spirit, he's talking about the miraculous. When he talks about prophecies, he is talking about that spiritual gift which is literally the telling forth of the word of God. So what he's telling them is, do not look with contempt or disdain on the practice of a person telling forth the word of God or teaching the word of God. My mind goes to Ephesians chapter 4, where in the first half of the chapter, Paul talks about how uh, Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, he left behind spiritual gifts, and he talks about the reason for it, and it has to do with spiritual maturity and doctrinal stability. And he talks about the fact that the church is not to be tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And, of course, we know that our brethren in the first century didn't have the completed form of the New Testament like we have in our hands. And so when a person came into their assembly and began saying, Thus saith the Lord, there had to be some way in order for them to be sure that what they were saying was true. And that's where the spiritual gifts came into play in the time of the first century. So he says, don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophecies, don't look with any sort of disdain when someone stands up and preaches and teaches to you the word of God. But instead, what does he say? Test all things and hold fast to that which is good. The word test is the idea of determining uh, the, the genuineness of a thing. And we have passages that, tell, that remind us that whenever someone says, thus says the Lord, our responsibility is to test it and make sure that that's actually what the Lord said. How about 1 John 4, verse 1 and 2? 
test the spirits or try the spirits, John said, to see whether they are of God. Or 1 Peter 4 and verse number 11, if any man speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. So don't quench the spirit or despise prophecies. Don't discourage someone from preaching and teaching in the name of God, preaching and teaching the word of God, but instead test it. See if it's genuine and see if what, he's actually, if what he's saying is actually the word of God. And if it's determined to be genuine, hold fast to it. Don't let it go. Stand firm on what it says and abstain from every form or every appearance of evil. In context, or I should say this rather, it's every kind of evil, but in context, in context false prophecy or false doctrine. If you test it and determine it to be uh, ungenuine, in, is that a word? Ingenuine, I don't know. If it ain't right, then stay away from it. That's the idea. You know, it's interesting on that point. It seems to me sometimes, it seems to me sometimes that we make a practice of trying to get as close to something as we possibly can without, without letting it bite us. Or maybe we, ha- we adopt the mentality that, you know what, I'm going, to, I'm going to do this thing until I can be proven that I'm wrong. But I would submit to you that the principles of New Testament Christianity are these. If it's wrong, then stay away from it. There's no reason to get close to it at all. And don't do something unless you're absolutely certain that it's right. Don't adopt the, ability, don't adopt the mindset that I'm going to do this until you can show me that it's wrong. Instead say, I'm not going to do it until I can be sure that it's right. That's Colossians 3 and verse number 17. So here are four attitudes that are important. There's our attitudes toward our attitude towards our leaders. It, uh, uh, honor them, encourage them, esteem them highly. Our attitudes toward one another, and there are many, warn and comfort and uphold and patience and so on. Our attitude in general. Whatever the situation is, rejoicing and praying without ceasing and giving thanks. And our attitude toward teaching, don't turn away from it, don't reject it, test it. And if it's found to be true, embrace it, hold it closely, and never let it go. So now my responsibility and yours is to study through these ten passages, look at all of these various things that are said about attitudes, and admittedly there are a lot. We could say a whole lot more about all of them. But what I need to do is I need to place myself squarely in the middle of these passages and I need to see how is my attitude toward my leaders and am I viewing them and speaking to them and about them in a way that is appropriate. My attitude toward my brethren, am I truly seeking to do all of these things? Uh, My attitude in general, can I be described as someone who is uh, always rejoicing and praying and uh, someone who is thankful and my attitude toward the word of God? Does it turn my stomach and make me roll my eyes whenever someone teaches and preaches from God's word? Or is it something that I long for and embrace and look forward to with great excitement and anticipation, longing to know more about what God has to say? Four important attitudes. The lesson is yours tonight. We're going to offer the Lord's invitation, and maybe there's someone here that has a need to respond, perhaps to become a member of the body of Jesus Christ. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you're willing to repent of your sins and confess your faith and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. We stand ready to help you to do that this evening. Maybe you're a Christian tonight and 
Perhaps there's uh, some issue that you have with one of these four attitudes that we've talked about this evening, and maybe you would like for us to pray for you and with you, give some sort of direction or encouragement. Whatever your need might be, we encourage you to come and let it be known while together we stand and sing.